Welcome to another episode of Coach Pep Talk, the podcast for people who run their own coaching businesses. Each week, I talk to an expert who shares wisdom that helps us be better coaches and better coaching business owners. Now, this week, I've got Mike Bendrant from the INLP Center on the line, and he's talking to us all about self-sabotaging behavior that help people stay stuck. And he's going to show us a technique that helps you go from completely stuck to an aha moment. So check us out on the other side. Coach Pep Talk is proudly brought to you by Life Coach Office. Gain ultimate freedom and flexibility in your coaching business with Life Coach Office, the online coaching software specifically designed for the single coach coaching business. You can use the software to manage your client files and coaching resources all in one place online and it's all under one umbrella with an easy to use technology. If you'd like to give Life Coach Office a try, you can do that for seven days, no credit card required, just an email address. Check out www.universalcoachingsystems.lco. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Mike Bundrant, who's the founder of the INLP Center and is an NLP practitioner, an Ian Fellow trainer, and a retired psychotherapist. He became certified in NLP way back in 1993 and got his certification from Michael Grinder after three days of watching him razzle and dazzle the room, something that he says he'll never forget. We've got Mike on the line today talking about self-sabotaging behavior that keeps you stuck, and he's going to show us an amazing technique on how to get from stuck to an aha moment. Hello, Mike, and welcome to the show. Hello, Benane. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I am so curious to hear your unique perspective on self-sabotage, and I'm sure our audience is going to appreciate it too. So before we get into that, could you please set the stage a little bit for everybody so we're all coming from the same place and explain to me and to the, to the listeners what is self-sabotage? Sure. Self-sabotage is essentially wittingly or unwittingly acting against your own best interest. So uh, commonly people say, I'm getting in my own way. Or if we're talking about other people, we often say, well, he acts like he wants these bad things to happen to him, those kinds of things. It's easier to see in other people, of course, than in ourselves. But it's when we see the world in a certain way, often accompanied by certain feelings that don't serve us, and certainly act in ways that don't make us happy, um, especially when there are other alternatives. And so it's that phenomenon where it's like, okay, I know I want something. I've got this goal. I want to get to it. I want to start a business. I want to market my coaching practice, say. And then even though I consciously, I want that, that's what I'm aware of, I find myself talking myself out of it, or I'm procrastinating or distracting myself, or maybe even uh, there's some sort of self-sabotaging fear that, uh, that comes along with it. And so in one way, shape, or form or another, I, I don't follow through, and I, I do the opposite of what makes me happy. So 
in a way we could sort of boil it down to that doing the opposite of what makes you happy doing the opposite of what's productive and for the most part a really important aspect of the definition of self-sabotage is that for most of us it happens on an unconscious level in other words we certainly see uh, that we're doing it uh, but the drive the motivation most of us find consciously very frustrating and we don't necessarily understand it so if i'm on a diet and losing weight and so on and so forth and then suddenly um I start talking myself into and justifying breaking the diet. Oh, I did really well today, so I deserve to have a snack or uh, anything that we might say to ourselves or any way that we might feel that sort of leads us into sabotaging the diet. Certainly, we're going to feel frustrated, disappointed. We don't want that to happen. We know that we're doing it. We may tell ourselves, ah, we don't care and have a moment of self-sabotage. But understanding the underlying reasons for it are almost certainly unconscious. Uh, they're outside of our awareness and consciously, we typically find it very, very frustrating. So anyways, long-winded definition, but that's sort of how I would set the stage. Well, and it, sound, it sounds like, you know, if you have the key to unlocking self-sabotage, um, I guess for yourself in your coaching business and for your, for your clients, then you're really on to a, a big winner. <laughs> it really is a big winner. Um, when you, uh, in terms of the training that we offer at the INLP Center, which is you know, NLP and life coach training, we factor in this, uh, we include this unique perspective on self-sabotage because it's so helpful on so many levels. I mean, if, if you're a coach and even if you're doing great coaching with your clients and giving them excellent uh, motivation, great tools and strategies and so forth, and yet you're not necessarily addressing the underlying self-sabotage issue then uh you know getting clients to follow through and and continue on with the coaching and learn to adapt to their new successful life these kinds of things are much more difficult because most of us have some deep inner blocks against the things that we want and we may even know, I mean, I can have a diet plan beautifully laid out. I can have great tools to motivate myself. I can have all kinds of tools and they don't help me in those moments when I say, I don't care anymore. I mean, they don't help me in those self-sabotaging moments. So being able to address that makes you uh, much more effective as a coach. So you've got to be able to, as a coach, you need to be able to dig into that, that core and find those deep inner blocks, I guess, within yourself first and also within your clients. I, I think to even understand uh, our model, you really have to go through it yourself, which is sort of how the whole model developed um, out of kind of my frustration with uh, all the wonderful tools and strategies that I had m at my disposal. I mean, I was uh, at the time, well, I'd been over 20 years as 
an NLP trainer and sort of uh, background in mental health counseling. I learned NLP right out of college. So I was a, an NLP zealot. I mean, these tools and skills and strategies were, in my mind, revolutionary. In many ways, they are. And when you get in the trenches with people, uh, with clients who have no interest in NLP or any tool, they are just coming because they're struggling uh, to therapy or coaching or what have you. A lot of the tools and strategies, a lot of the methods that we're trained in as coaches, they don't do as well in live coaching or therapy as they do when we learn them in the coach training room when everybody was sort of buying into it and we paid for the for the workshop and we want it to work and well real life clients and work in the trenches is different and then in my own life uh, there were areas that uh, of self-sabotage uh, really frustrating uh, areas for me that the tools and skills that I have um, I couldn't, I wasn't applying them. And so I kept asking my question, well, how is it that a human being can have everything they need, uh, all the tools, all the strategies, all the support to, to move ahead and, and do something that they want to do and yet not do it? In other words, why don't we just apply everything that we know? And move forward why would we do something that makes us miserable and that actually led me into studying uh, psychoanalysis of all things right and I'm an NLP trainer and and uh, life coach I'm studying psychoanalysis and some of these deeper principles that have to do with how how th how this happens is actually a, a gentleman uh, that was that ran Freud's Vienna Clinic that came up with a theory about why we move toward the negative again and again and again and that really captivated me so to come up with our self sabotage model I kind of blended that uh, sort of deeper really complicated psychoanalytical approach and turned it into something that is appropriate for the coaching world. It's not therapy. Um, and yet it really cuts to the heart of the matter quickly in a non-clinical way and sort of makes it all uh, very, very accessible. And we called the model the aha solution because typically people get big aha yeah. moment uh -huh. and, uh, and so forth. So that's kind of how it came, uh, how it all came to pass. I'm sure everybody who's listening is, and like myself included, uh, are wondering, can you tell us about this? Oh, <laughs> how does it work? Why do, in other awesome. words, why, why do we move toward the negative? Why don't we apply what we know? Uh, to put it in a nutshell, it comes down to a, a couple of things. One is the fact that, you know, when you're born and you're raised, on the earth with human parents among human beings, you cannot and will not escape negativity. It's just part of the deal. Even when your parents are loving, well-intended, attentive parents, because you got to think about how we come out. We come out with no boundaries, no sense of other people, no sense of time. And when our needs are, when we experience our needs, as babies 
that's it. It's all coming down right now. And the fact that mom is on the phone and will be with you in just a moment, no, there's no sense of time. And so babies become enraged, right? Even when we're about to do something we want to do that will kill us, like stick, uh, as a toddler, stick the uh, uh, car keys into the light socket and mom or dad grab the keys away, we're angry, right? I mean, they just saved our life, but we're, we're angry and we cry. I mean, given the setup, uh, there's no escaping kind of a, a chronic influx of negativity, bumping into boundaries, bumping into limitations when we have no concept of limitations, being told no. Now, when we have bad parents or even abusive parents, of course, that piles on negativity all the more. So we've got to do something uh, with this negativity. And what we, the only thing we can learn to do is ultimately learn to tolerate it. Uh, and familiarize it, adapt to it, and uh, that's kind of what happens. There are several different principles that suggest that while this adaptation to negativity is happening, and as we become so familiar to negativity, that ultimately uh, uh, negativity will become kind of an unconscious magnet for us. If we don't consciously assimilate it, will be drawn to it. Um, and so, because what's familiar is safe. And what's safe is attractive. What's not familiar is foreign. And what's foreign is terrifying. And it's sort of primal, uh, you know, primal instincts. And so we develop this familiarity, this adaptation to negativity. And the safe thing to do is to continue to seek more of it, the devil that you know kind of thing. So if you had rejecting parents, um, being with rejecting people in your life, having rejecting people in your life is going to feel, uh, deep down, it's going to feel safer. It's more of what you know. Having very accepting people in your life consciously might sound very pleasing, it's what we want, may even fantasize about it, but when it comes right down to it, we're gonna be more comfortable with rejecting people or controlling people. Uh, raised by controlling parents, that control might not like it consciously, however, uh, that's what's going to be familiar. Uh, on a deep level, we're going to be seeking out controlling people depriving people, neglectful people, and so on and so forth. These patterns that we've adapted to that are familiar and therefore safe, the, and the opposite is foreign and therefore scary, it keeps us in this rut uh, again and again and again, and unconsciously we are finding every excuse in the world to stay there, and that's how it happens. Now that we are stuck, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> what can we do about it? Or how can we help our clients pass that? Yeah, it's... Um, Where do you start? <laughs> it's really a matter of uh, consciously understanding what's going on. And there are so many different sort of smoke screens that we put up to even shield ourselves from what's going on. So let me give you one example. Um, 
in our AHA solution program, we have a kind of style uh, of uh, a self-sabotaging style that we call the rebel, kind of a rebellious personality, someone who you know fights, resists expectations, don't tell me what to do, you know, stick it to the man kind of personality. And it, every rebel I talk to that finally is in a place where he or she is saying, I just, I've had enough. I don't know what to do anymore. I've hit rock bottom with this whole thing and my life isn't working because of this. It's shocking to them that deep down what they're really uh, moving toward, what they're really wanting to attract in their life is a sense of being controlled. Uh, it's the last thing on earth that would occur to them. <laughs> it's like, a don't tell me what to do. Right? It's a paradox, right? That deep down, unconsciously, they are behaving in such a way as to encourage other people to control them. That's the deal. And when they see it, it blows their mind. It's sort of like, okay, now let's imagine I'm a manager of a business. I've got 10 employees. Line up these 10 employees. Nine of these employees are basically cooperative and do their job. The 10th employee is a rebel. Now, which employee am I going to be intervening on, micromanaging, making sure that he or she is doing their job? Which employee invites the intervention of authority, right? The nine that basically cooperate and do their job or the 10th, who constantly rebels and resists expectation. As a manager, I'm gonna be all over that 10th one. And that's the rebel. That's the one that hates authority. That's the one that hates being told what to do. However, it backfires again and again and again. So we all have these ways. The thing that we hate most in life, the thing we hate uh, feeling the most, the thing we hate doing the most, the people that are in our lives that we hate being around the most, we have a kind of a script in there on autopilot that is driving us toward that. And to get off that autopilot, we have to consciously understand it and own it and realize it. It's happening unconsciously. And so and we don't even see it. It's like, in fact, we're trying to make the opposite thing happen, right? It's like, I don't want authority intervening on me. And so I'm going to prove to them that they can't tell me what to do, so they'll leave me alone. And that attitude is the very thing that gets them to monitor me even more. And I don't realize it. Deep down, I'm seeking out this control. And with every uh, one of these situations, there's various different what we call uh, types. There's various different types. Um, you know, there's a self-defeating type. There's a warrior type. There's a perfectionist type. These kinds of things where depending on our style and what we do, it leads us into the exact thing that we hate, which could be an ongoing sense of rejection, feeling like an outcast, feeling like I don't belong. Could be an ongoing sense of emptiness, uh, that my life has no meaning and I kind of everything is futile and I never will discover my purpose here on earth and fulfillments for other people, not for me. Um, these kind of core 
states we unwittingly sustain by virtue of the way we see the world and by virtue of the way we act, but it's the last thing on earth that we think we're doing. So in order to change it, we have to see it. And there's where the aha moment has to come. It's like when a rebellious type realizes, oh my gosh, I'm, it's like I'm a magnet for authority given what I do. I mean, what on earth? It's the last thing on earth that would have occurred to me. And yet it's what I'm doing. When the rebel has that moment, when anybody has that moment about, about the things in their life that they can't change, that are frustrating, then that opens up the opportunity to really take ownership of the issue, to understand it, to step into it. And that's got to happen if you're ever going to have influence over it. We, we can't make choices about things of which we're unaware. Outside of consciousness, I can't make a conscious choice. So 90% of the battle is getting to that aha moment. I have so many questions for you, Mike. Oh, good. good. <laughs> okay. First of all, if, if you're coaching somebody and they mm -hmm. have this aha moment, sometimes, I don't know, I've found in, in experiences, like you feel like mm -hmm. it should be an aha moment, but they, they take it quite flat. So somehow right. you've had an aha moment, but your client hasn't. Right. <laughs> um, right. What do you look for in your client? How do you calibrate them to actually know that it actually, it, it's stuck at a deep level? Like, do they cry? Do they say, aha, what's, what's going on? <clears throat> right. It, no. It's a... It's sometimes they, sometimes they cry more often. They, it's this moment of, of awe, right? It's this sort of moment of disbelief. They're seeing it uh, for the first time. And um, it's like, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's like that kind of moment where it's like they have seen the ocean for the first time or something like that, where, I mean, they are literally, I've never had someone uh, sort of not verbalize the fact that they were blown away when they have these moments. It's like, and then they say things like, I never, ever thought of it that way before. Um, I, I, I can't believe it's absurd, but it's true. I can't believe I'm doing this, but clearly I am. Uh, why would I do it? You know, it's like they're, they're saying things like that, but they're clearly verbalizing that they're having an aha moment. It's kind of hard. It's hard to miss. We developed a program called the aha solution and that's available. You know, people buy that program who are just interested in personal development. It's an online learning program, but people who are signed up in our NLP and life coach trainings, uh, they, it's, uh, included in that program too, as well as, you know, how do you work with people as a coach uh, in, in the, in the aha solution program, but the program's called the aha solution. I also wrote a short ebook about it called your Achilles eel, not heel, but eel sort of written from the perspective of a parasitic eel that has sort of latched on to you and is telling you sort of like this self-sabbing self-sabotaging part of you is telling you all of its secrets about how it fools you and how it gets you to do the things that you don't want to do. And I wrote kind of a story ebook um, about it like That's that. That's cool. Is it appropriate for kids or is it definitely an sure. adult thing? Yeah. No, no, no. It's, uh, it's appropriate, uh, appropriate for kids, families. 
I take the role of the eel and I'm talking to the reader and explaining how I work, you uh -huh. know, divulging my secrets. That's about it. Definitely have to check that out. Okay. Yeah. My, I have a couple more questions before we need yeah. to wrap up, but the aha solution sounds like from the, the brief discussion we've been able to have today, it sounds like that a key component are these, these, um, the categories or the types, mm -hmm. the, the rebel, the self defeating yeah. warrior. How many types are there? Well, there are three categories, <clears throat> and under each category, there are, are four what we call attachment types. In other, so we use the term psychological attachments to say these patterns of negativity that you have grown attached to. So on a deeper level, you're psychologically attached to your angst. So there are three categories. Uh, one is... Um, the attachment to being controlled. In other words, I'm, I, I, I sort of set myself up in various ways that, uh, to, so that I feel controlled by other people, or I feel controlled by life or circumstances. And another category is, what we, is, is deprivation, uh, it's setting myself up to feel deprived and empty uh, and so forth. And the other is rejection, setting myself up to uh, experience uh, rejection, not belonging, being an outcast, feeling worthless, those kinds of things. And then there, under each category, there are different styles that, uh, that carry out the attachment. So under, <clears throat> excuse me, under control, the sense of being controlled, the rebel is a style. It's like the one way that I seek to be controlled is to rebel so that everybody controls me, tries to control me, right? It makes perfect sense when you look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Mike, if somebody uh, signs up for the AHA solution, the online thing, then they can actually, do they take some sort of a test and then they get, di they get told kind of how they fit, how they map into these different types? Uh, they don't. Uh, the online thing is purely an online learning uh, program. Uh, the ebooks included. There's a whole bunch of worksheets and explainer videos to walk through it. And then there are 13, uh, sorry, 14 content oriented videos that are educational in nature and teach you to see it. And then there are step by step instructions where you self-diagnose okay yeah that's of what's okay. going on also uh, when you get any of our programs then you can join our private facebook group people are interacting there all the time both people who are taking nlp training and such as well as people who just have the personal development program aren't interested in certification and in there you can ask questions we do webinars every week that are free and included for everybody in the community so you can go on those and ask questions and so forth. So there's a lot of resources to, to help you figure, to help you figure things out. That sounds great. And just at the time of recording, I mean, we're in, we're in May, 2017. How much uh -huh. does that, that course uh, cost the, the AHA solution? Just the AHA solution course is $129. Mm -hmm. It actually comes with uh, five other programs, which I won't go into detail now, but it's, it's one of six programs. It's $129. I think you can buy the AHA solution alone for $79. That's, that's very affordable. Given that you, you get to be part of the community um, that never expires and attend workshops if you want every uh, week that, that don't expire either. I mean, it's a pretty good 
community to be that involved. Sounds like with. a great setup. I mean, if especially yeah. if you're if you're an experienced coach like me, I've been coaching since 2006. Or if you know, even if you're just getting started, tapping into something like this could be a really good ongoing development. Um, yeah. I think personally and for your own clients. Um, once people actually have done this self-diagnosis with the AHA solution, so that they've mm -hmm. got this conscious understanding of what's going on, then what's uh -huh. the next step for them? The next step could be any number of things. Uh, if we were to keep it simple, there's, there's three different approaches, really. One is the simple approach. The other um, is the uh, uh, sort of deeper uh, work approach, and the other is kind of the bizarre approach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, the simple approach suggests that now that you realize what you're doing, and it, the prerequisite is the aha moment, right? It's like I've revealed something causal. Uh, I've revealed something I had no idea that I was doing, I, maybe I knew I was doing it. I didn't know the, you know, the unconscious aspect of it. I didn't put all the pieces together. And so now that it's conscious, you can have a conscious choice about it. You couldn't before, but now you can. And so we have worksheets in the AHA Solution Program that help you track on a daily or a weekly basis the various situations in which you're fulfilling your drive toward that negative thing. And when you come to see exactly how you're getting from point A to point B, as opposed to just ending up at point B and being frustrated, now you've put all the pieces together and for the first time you can have a conscious choice about it. So the worksheets in the program are all about putting those pieces together so that you can have a, a conscious choice about it and so the simple path is now that you're aware stop uh, assess your different options right it's like there's a dark alley with a mugger in the dark alley and you didn't know that there was a mugger in it before but now you know there's a mugger in it and so now you can walk down that dark alley always an option or you can just go a different path right uh-huh and Sometimes we walk down the dark alley anyway. Right? And <laughs> but when you do it from a place of conscious choice, it gives you personal responsibility. So it's coming from at least from a place of empowerment this time. <laughs> exactly. And in that case, I coach people to say, you know what? If you see the mugger and you go anyways, mm -hmm. then be honest about it. I see there's a dark alley. There's a mugger in it. I'm going to get hurt. I'm walking down this dark alley so that I can get hurt and um you know and feel hurt be honest about it right and the more honest you are about it the more your consciousness expands mm -hmm. and therefore the more choice you have sometimes going down the second path um it ooh, things come up in other words it presents an opportunity to do some work maybe uh there's a perspective shift that needs to happen Maybe I have, uh, maybe I'm visualizing things in my head in a certain way that are part of the self-sabotage. And now that er all the you know cards are on the table and I start sorting through them, may uh, what I find is that all of the NLP techniques, the emotional freedom techniques, the all the different methods that a lot of us are trained in, 
they actually start to work in, with these tough situations when they may have failed before because it's sort of like saying, I'm going to do this technique on uh, you and I'm going to take away something that is so familiar and safe to you, uh, so familiar and safe for you. The technique isn't going to work. You need to um, have but the aha moment first. You need to have the aha moment. And you also probably need to give it some time because what, what happens is if I'm so used, if what's so familiar to me is living in a state of rejection as opposed to acceptance, acceptance is foreign to me. I'm going to have to have a little adjustment period where I learn to tolerate acceptance. And the people don't think about it that way, but it's like, okay, I've been miserable for, for 30 years. I'm not just going to suddenly one day transform into happy and be okay with it. it it's much more common when you find the key or a key to your happiness to have to adapt to it. So I tell people, look, you've got to give yourself some time to learn to tolerate this happiness. It's not familiar to you. It's been a fantasy. It hasn't been an experience. Now you're experiencing it. Don't be surprised if you resist it from time to time, right? You've got to get used to it. Is there any kind of, uh, how long does it, does it need to take? Well, you know, uh, that is, it's so strange because I've had so many different uh, kinds of experiences with clients. Uh, I, I guess sort of depending on their readiness and so forth, with some clients, there's the big aha and then the, oh my gosh, and they're so motivated and they start to do stuff. And then two weeks into that, they have this sort of experience, this massive protest and backlash, right? Mm -hmm. And where they just abandon it all and go right back where they were. And I sometimes warn people about that. The, the inner protest that you're going to experience or that you're likely to experience, that's a good sign. That's a sign that you're on a new path that's unfamiliar to you and you freaked out. Okay. And so let that be a good sign and we're going to work through it. Other people uh, sort of had the experience. This is usually my experience working through one of my own uh, self-sabotage uh, issues. My own experience is I get all the cards on the table and I realize what I'm seeking that I hate and I, I call myself on it every day and so on and so forth. And after a few weeks, I realize, oh, I'm not doing that thing anymore. That's usually my experience. And a lot of people have that. It's like, and then you go, wow, that's weird. I did that for 20 years. Right? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. It just sort of dropped away. And um, that's, that's usually how I experience it. Other people, uh, they go, uh, things that their parents said start coming back, start coming to the surface and sort of memories of being ridiculed in the school schoolyard or what have you start coming to the surface. It's sort of like, we dredged up a bunch of stuff and now we need to use some techniques kinds of things in order to uh, put those uh, memories and those feelings to rest, to get some distance from them. Again, that's where a lot of the interventions that so many of us have learned, that's when they really start to be effective. So there's a lot of different paths uh, and sometimes it's a matter of days and weeks. Sometimes it's a matter of months. I usually tell people, if you coach with me for six months and I, I'm, I don't have, I have a very, very limited coaching practice. I spend most of my time teaching, but I used to tell people, 
if you coach with me for six months and you stick with, with it, there's no way that you're not going to have a massive paradigm shift in the area of your life where okay. you need Okay, it. so we're not talking years. We're talking weeks and months, really. We, we are talking weeks and months. If, if you, uh -huh. As long as you can get that, have that aha moment. Can we just recap? So you have your aha moment, your conscious understanding of what's going on. And then you, you, you said there were, there were three ways people tend to categories oh, yeah. people tend to fall into just we, we talked about simple in detail did we cover the other two we didn't cover the bizarre the bizarre is um is really my favorite way but people sometimes think i'm nuts um when i when i talk about it but once you've accepted that deep down you're setting yourself up for this thing you hate that deep down because it's familiar you're seeking it then i will sometimes say to people look here's what i want you to do if you're seeking this, then you got to own that. Uh, you got to own the part of you. You're not chained to the back of the bus with a, with a madman at the front. You're going to go and sit uh, in the front seat of the bus and drive it on its present course if you're ever going to take control of the situation. And so I will say to people, let's say the issue is you know, re the, under the rejection category. Uh, they will get up in the morning, and I've done this myself many times, uh, get up in the morning and they'll set a goal. And the goal is worded something like this. Today, my goal is to experience rejection as many times as possible. Okay. Probably a lot of listeners are coaching. Right? What? <laughs> I know. But if you think about it, and you are someone who does experience rejection many, many times a day. Uh, and that rejection most likely is coming from a perspective, a paradigm, an interpretation of the world. If that's you, if you kind of go through your day as an outcast and you're seeing things the way an outcast would, it's as if some part of you does have a goal to continue to see things that way. And let's own that. Yeah, let's yeah. consciously uh, get involved in that so that we can have a choice. And you would think, it, you know, some people think, well, whoa, that's a downer. It's not a downer. When it's you, when you've had the aha moment and you go through the day, my clients actually do that somewhat enthusiastically. Once they, <laughs> right, they go, okay, here we go. And they go, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to work. I texted my friend. They didn't text back right away. And this voice went off in my head, said, they don't even like you anymore. You're such, you know, you're so, uh, you're such a pest. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there it is. There it I is. It. I, their goal. Goal. <laughs> I got my goal, right? That's what I, and that would have happened anyway. So they walk into the office, they walk past a colleague who doesn't acknowledge them. They go, geez, man, he's probably trying to get me fired. He never liked me. And there it is again right? Every day, the boss sends you an email, says, I'd like to see you at one o'clock today. You go, oh my gosh, I'm just going to get fired. And, you know, I'm worthless. And it's like, I got it. I'm doing it. I've, I've, I've reached my, once you do that for a little while, um, you can't do that for a little while without going, this is so nuts, right? I and mean, this is so absurd. And do I have to do this? Is there a different way to interpret to, to interpret this email or that text or that walk by? You know, when I come home and my wife is telling me things to be done around the house, is she really telling me you're a crappy husband 
or is she just wanting to remind me to be helpful? How am I, uh, given the different ways to interpret it, if I've got this unconscious goal to, to experience rejection as many times as I can, I'm going to be bent on the worst possible interpretation. And if I can catch myself doing that and recognize what it is, that's when uh, choice starts to happen. And that's when I can go, oh, that's that rejection thing. There it is. I'm, I did it again. Do I want to do that? Uh, no. Okay, what are my other options? It's so playful, and I think clients really could have a lot of, I think I'm going to do it for myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's really, um, it's fun. I, I've done it in ways myself that are fun. I've also done it in, in ways myself that, you know, are painful, because mm -hmm. sometimes we go, there's my goal, but, you know, it takes a week or two or three, which can feel like an eternity, mm -hmm. because uh, to stop doing it or to sort of begin to turn a corner and it can be painful too going, hey, there's the dark alley. I'm going to walk down it. I don't want to be walking down it. I'm compelled to walk down it. And it's this weird space to be in between conscious and unconscious living, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyways, that's the bizarre way. I love it. Okay, so just, just to recap, if we can do a really quick one. Um, there was yes. simple, there was something else, and there was bizarre. What was the something else called? The something else was um, intervention opportunities. So for all of our NLP trained um, listeners, they would be looking at or uh, what sort of interventions are common yeah. that come up here. Yeah, for uh, NLP trained uh, people, uh, then this is going to reveal stuck states. There's going to be uh, anchoring, re-anchoring uh, opportunities. There's going to be change history opportunities, submodality, inner VAK work, and strategy opportunities. Um, all kinds of opportunities to utilize uh, the techniques. If you know core transformation, uh, that's a common one because often in this scenario, uh, a, a wounded part of us is, is revealed, a really rejected part of us that knows nothing but rejection and it's all it knows and it kind of survives on rejection. At the same time, it really hurts this is for a, a, a six-step reframing, but a core transformation type process uh, can be very, very healing. We come out of that so much stronger without the need. It really reduces the need to continue to uh, seek more of what we don't uh, like. We come out of that with resources. For our listeners who aren't actually uh, that familiar with neurolinguistic programming or NLP, can you just, in as few sentences as possible, just explain for them what an intervention is? Oh, an intervention would uh, be an NLP technique, basically. NLP uh, consists of a wide variety of techniques to bring about personal change by altering our inner experience. There's a lot of sort of step-by-step -step formats uh, that you go through depending on what someone is uh, struggling with to actually guide them through a, a process of change. So an NLP intervention is sort of a step-by-step -step protocol that you take people through. Why I like NLP intervention work so much is because it works on this sort of unconscious level with your clients and they say some weird stuff and they really have no idea what they're saying, but yeah. all these shifts are happening and their, their brain is kind of being rewired in a, exactly. in a more um, empowered in, 
way for them to move forward. Absolutely does. Two more questions and, and then we'll wrap up. For the people who are listening, and I'm putting my hand up as one of them, you know, all of this is based on all this negativity in your childhood and just, you know, that we're, we're so, it's so negativity focused. I don't know, where is love in this whole picture? If you can just kind of set us all at ease, because <laughs> I have a uh -huh. feeling that holds a very important place for you. Um, I just want to talk about it a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. In other words, where is the focusing on the positive and so forth? Yeah. Um, all of this happens in the context of coaching with the understanding that we are wanting and fully capable of moving toward a positive, energized place. And that's the purpose of it. The self-sabotage protocol we employ when there is a, a deep obstacle that we can't get around. And it utilizes the principle, uh, it, it's actually out of engineering, that suggests a well-defined problem seeks its own solution. Uh, sometimes, with some problems, you really have to understand them well in order to solve them. And so our purpose going into it is not to focus on negativity. Uh, our purpose is to identify the negativity so that we can heal it hmm. and uh, it is uh, it, it is a focus on on that negativity and the very idea for some people to say it's as if a part of you doesn't want to lose weight it's as if a part of you wants to keep things exactly the same and when you do start losing weight this part of you sabotages the process some people uh, just sort of might not even have a tolerance for suggesting that is going on. And if that's the case, then this model isn't, isn't for you. But we certainly don't understand, uh, focus on, or work with the negativity in any way with any intention to uh, do anything other than heal the negativity. Yeah, no, I love that that reframe. That was a was a good word. It was healing, healing those old wounds. You know, shine light in the darkness. That's uh, that's what we're all about. We don't. We're not saying the darkness doesn't exist. That's the only thing we're not doing. We're saying darkness may very well exist, and let's acknowledge that and shine some light into it. Yeah, I love that. I'm a very realistic type of person, so this yeah. this sort of approach works beautifully for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you could get our listeners to do one thing as a result of having listened to our episode today, um, take one action in their life, do read something, whatever, what, what would that be? What I would have people do is ask themselves a question, which is when you think about your life and the ways that you feel or the things that you do uh, that are consistent and they're against, uh, they're, they're not what you want. And uh, you think of that area of your life that has sort of been immune to change and ask yourself the question, what if a part of me were seeking this? What if a part of me found this thing that I don't like to be uh, too familiar to let go? And what if I'm setting myself up to re-experience that? What if that were true and how am I setting myself up? Just shed your conscious light on, on that area. And then um, if I could throw in a second thing, it would be uh, we have a free video uh, 
um, the AHA solution on our website. It's about 20 minutes long. It gives a very, very succinct rundown of, of the self-sabotage model, as well as some examples about how these uh, psychological attachments develop. And I would encourage people, and it outlines the AHA process uh, in order to uh, work around it, uh, how to become aware, how to halt, how to act on new information. I would encourage people to watch that, uh, watch that video, and there's a link to it on your blog post where this uh, episode is on your website. Yeah, we'll put a link for everybody so it's easy just to click it and um, yeah. go and yeah. check out that video. Okay, so I just want to recap that question because it was kind of multi-part. What if a part of me were seeking this, and how am I setting myself up? How am I setting myself up? to re-experience it re-experience oh and this is focusing on something that's sort of an area of your life where you are you've been stuck for a long time you've been stuck and in some way the tools you have you either aren't using or they aren't working so if people want to get learn more about your work um, they can look out for that self-sabotage link i'll also include uh, a link to your homepage as well And I just would like to thank you so much, Mike, for taking your time out today and talking to us and sharing all of your wisdom with our listeners. I really appreciate it. So great to be here. Really appreciate it, Benet. And thank you, listeners. And please like the show on iTunes. That's a great way you can help us out. Everyone have a great day and happy coaching.